We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Where do we leave off? I think I heard the right number. Verse 12. Yeah, you got it. Verse 12 is where we left off. Second Corinthians 1. Remember where the Apostle Paul began this um, letter, this epistle. Remember, he's familiar with the people he's writing to. He planted the church there, pastored the church in Corinth. He made, um, at this point, at least two visits to Corinth. Um, he had written 1 Corinthians. There was another letter also that was written. Uh, besides the two that we do have, and we'll see that later, there's internal evidence um, that, that leads us to that, uh, to that conclusion. But remember, as we work our way through this letter, the Apostle Paul, if you read through the whole letter, the Apostle Paul is defending himself. He's defending his, um, his apostolic credentials were under attack by a certain group within the church. He's going to later call them false apostles or like bogus ministers of the gospel. And so they are starting a smear campaign about the Apostle Paul that he's, he doesn't keep his word, that he's a liar. I mean, can you imagine calling the Apostle Paul a liar? All behind his back, by the way, which is what typically people like that do that are critical and cause division and problems. They don't say it to your face. They'll say it behind your back. And so Paul is addressing these issues some of the other things were like pretty lame, like he's not a good speaker, he's short, he's squeaky, he, uh, he, they, 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 cut him on, they cut him down on his appearance as well. And so a lot of things that the, the Apostle Paul will address as we work our way through this letter. But what's so interesting is as he's defending himself, he'll kind of go off onto a little bunny trail and we, and we learn some awesome stuff about God. Uh, about ministry, about life as well. And he began the letter last week, you remember, he began by blessing God in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of tribulation. And we go through some pain and suffering, don't we? Do we go through some pain and suffering? We have hard times, right? Um, it's interesting, I, I mentioned last week, we live in a fallen world, we experience uh, gnarly stuff. Sometimes people do stuff to us. Sometimes we do stuff to other people, correct? I think I left this out. Sometimes we do stuff to ourselves, too. We can jack some stuff up, can't we? Yeah. By doing stuff, saying stuff, bring pain upon our own lives and into our own lives. But there's also persecution for righteousness' sake, for doing what's right, following Jesus. And um, that's going to happen as we live for the Lord. And the Apostle Paul reminded us of how great our God is that he is the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies. Aren't you glad for that? He, and it's, it's, it's the Lord who brings us that comfort and brings us the consolation when we are suffering, when we look to him, as we open our hearts to him. He is near to the brokenhearted, we're told in Psalm 34. And it's so beautiful to consider that this morning, that as we do go through suffering, the Lord is there also to, to, to come alongside us and to encourage us and to comfort us in our difficulties and hardships. And sometimes it's the Lord who does it, right? Sometimes he meets with us in a special way, doesn't he? 
you're going through hardship, you're going through tribulation, and it's like the Lord comes along and he just picks you up and gives you a big hug. It's like, oh, thank you, Lord. That was, that was so you, whether it was you're reading your Bible or just praying or whatever. Sometimes the Lord brings someone into our lives too, correct? And that's what Paul said last week. We receive comfort from God. Why? That we be comfort hoarders? No, that we would comfort others with the same comfort we've received from the Lord. So the Lord wants that comfort that he's given us to be worked out in a practical way into the lives of others. In other, in other words, you guys have a ministry if you've been comforted by God. If you've gone through suffering and the Lord's ministered to you, you and I have a special ministry in the body of Christ. And not only that, not only in the body, but beyond these walls, there's a lot of hurting people. I don't know what people do without Jesus. I mean, I was once there 28 years of my life without him. But the people that are going through difficulty and hardship and what's going on now around us, the tribulation, the difficulty, that's tribulation small t, by the way. I don't know what they, you know, what, what do pe people turn to drugs, drinking, all kinds of other stuff to, to ease the pain, to escape reality. But that's emptiness. But it's the Lord who meets us in our emptiness and comforts us in our loneliness and in our hardship. And he's such a good God. And Paul reminded the church about that. You know, and I was reading through, again, through the entire letter this week, just kind of getting the overall context. And Paul, in this letter, talks about suffering so much. He talks about a lot in this letter. And it's like, why in the world? I'm like, Lord, why in the world does he keep talking about this? Why is he talking about this over and over and over again in this letter, specifically to the Corinthians? Well, I think one reason why is because remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. You guys remember that? And he talks about sheep and he talks about shepherds. Good shepherds do what? They care for the flock. They lay down their lives for the flock. The hireling who's not the shepherd, the one that's in it just for the money or for power or for recognition, the heat gets turned up and what happens to them? Sayonara. And these false apostles that were at Corinth, these false ministers, there's the heat starting to happen in Corinth and guess what? Paul's giving them a heads up. Listen, you're going to be going through suffering. God's going to comfort you. But listen, that's part of the deal. That's part of our vocation as Christians, as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But don't be surprised if those guys bail out on you. When the going gets tough, they get going. They bail out. And, he, and he's going to talk about this morning. We're going to get into the text in a minute. Sorry, long intro. We're going to talk about this morning. Paul's going to say, remember what it was like when I came? And he does that a lot. He reminds people what his life was like when he was ministering to them. Well, let's check it out together. It says, and he left off verse 12, and Paul writes, God's word says, for our boasting or our rejoicing is this. What is it, Paul? What are you rejoicing in? The testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world, how? In simplicity and godly sincerity not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast 
as you also are ours, notice this when, in the day of the Lord Jesus. And so again, these false apostles were accusing the apostle Paul of a number of different things. And I think as we begin here, something that they may have been accusing Paul about was that he's only in ministry for himself. It's all about Paul. It's maybe he's in it for the money. He's in it for selfish motivations. He's a taker. And Paul says, listen, our boasting, here's what we rejoice in. I have a clear conscience. We have a clear conscience before you. The internal moral compass bears witness to the fact of how we behaved when we were with you, how we conducted business, how we did ministry when we were with you. Do you guys remember how he did business, how he did ministry when he was with them? Acts, I guess Acts chapter 18, isn't it? The apostle Paul was there with a couple. What was the couple's name? Priscilla and Aquila, right? That mom and pop team that were just poured out their lives into ministry. And the Apostle Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, they, what were they doing for a job? How were they supporting their ministry? Tent making, right? And Paul's going to talk about that later. We didn't take anything, ask for anything from you. We didn't take anything from you. We didn't make any demands. We worked with our hands, supporting our ministry, making tents. So not only did the Apostle Paul work hard, at earning a living, but he also worked hard making disciples in Corinth. And he says exactly how he did it here. Look what he says. He was there before them, number one, in simplicity. And simplicity means uh, single-mindedness. It speaks of honesty. It's the opposite of duplicity. Single-mindedness. Paul had one goal in mind when he was there, and that was to lovingly minister to these people. And he's going to talk about that again later. He, he loves them. He cares about them. I mean, what if people were talking trash about you in ministry? People were making up lies. And would you, how would you respond to that? The Apostle Paul loved, continues to, the less you love me, the more I love you, he says. I'll continue to minister to you. I'll continue to try to help you, to reach out to you. And so Paul says, you remember, number one, we were with you in simplicity. Number two, what's your Bible say? Godly Sincerity, it speaks of pure inward motives. It speaks also of pure intentions. Paul wasn't a guy who said one thing and had a different thing in mind. He was the same way before people as he was behind their backs. And it's interesting, that word uh, sincerity in Latin is sincera, and it means without wax. Without, what does that mean, without wax? Some of you heard this lame illustration before. Without wax. In ancient times, when sculptors would make sculptures and they'd make like, like figurines or their gods or goddesses or whatever, and the guy'd be working on it, chiseling, and he's, he's getting close to finishing, and then all of a sudden he swings a little bit too hard and knocks off the nose. What do you do? I've come all this way. I'm not, not going to get rid of this thing. What am I going to do? What they would do if there was a crack or some other you know, imperfection, they would take wax, get some of the dust. Pop it right back on there. They sell it in the marketplace. You take it home, and guess what happens when you put it on your front lawn? The, the, under the hot Houston sun, what would happen? What happened, to the, what happened to the nose on that dude? On Zeus, man. Thought he was a god. Lost his nose. Without wax. Paul says there was no phoniness in it with us. We were the real deal. It also In the Greek, it means to be judged by putting under the sun. And so 
Paul is saying here, there was, no, there was no, nothing phony. We were real with you. There was no wax. We weren't, we weren't like give, doing a, a funky patch-up job, covering ourselves up, being one thing at church and something else at home or at the tent-making place. I, I'm cha- personally, I'm challenged to be the same man as I am in the pulpit as I am at home. And I've told my daughters, if I'm not, you call dad out on it. You call me on it. Because if we're not the same people we are here as we are at home or somewhere else, there, there's a disconnect. Are you with me? We're wearing a mask. We're, we're, we, we're with wax is the idea. And so, it, listen, it, it's okay. Today, if that's the case with you, confess it, repent it. That gap should be closing between who you are here and who you are out there in the world. Are you with me this morning? This is not just for ministers. This is for all of us that we would walk in the light as he is in the light. And that's with, that's with realness, with genuineness. Nothing phony. God doesn't want anything phony. The Pharisees were phonies, weren't they? Jesus had the heaviest words for the Pharisees, the religious phonies. So we don't want to be like that. Paul says, also, we didn't come to you with fleshly wisdom. We didn't operate with the wisdom of man or carnal methods or the, using man's solutions to man's problems. We look to the word of God and to the power of the Holy Spirit is what we look to, that we didn't operate in fleshly wisdom. Paul trusted in the Lord, you guys, and in his word. It's so crucial for us to trust in the word. Psalm 138, verse 2, God magnifies his word above his own name. But it's not just knowing the word, it's, it's knowing the God of the word and allowing his word to have a deep, rich place in our lives, that it translates into godly wisdom, into walking in God's wisdom, not fleshly wisdom, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word to get stuff done by the grace of God. He said, we look to God's grace. Are you, anybody here thankful for God's grace? Amen. Paul will later say that Jesus spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect. In your weakness. God's grace. Do you believe God's grace is sufficient this morning? And Paul's like, we did this. It was more abundantly towards you. We were over the top in these things. He's reminding them. We were a little extra in this. You know it. And then he goes on to say, well, Paul, here's here's the deal. Here's the point. Paul's communication could be trusted. Why? Because his life backed it up. Paul's communication could be trusted because his life backed it up. In fact, he goes on to say, look at verse 13. He's like, listen, we're not writing so you read between the lines. We're not writing with hidden meanings. We're not saying things with hidden motives. We say what we mean and we mean what we say. And I think perhaps the church in Corinth was cynical. Do you guys know anybody that's cynical? You know what I'm talking talking about with that? What did he really mean by that? Did he mean, when he said good morning, did he really mean good morning? Or was he saying something else? Paul's saying, listen, there's no hidden meanings. There's no hidden motivations. We say what we mean. We mean what we say. And Paul's confident. He says in verse, at the end of verse 13, I trust you're going to get it. You're going to understand. Just like you know us, verse 14, in part, that we are your boast or that you would be rejoicing in us and that we would be rejoicing in you when? In the day of the Lord Jesus, when Jesus comes for us, his bride, his church, and takes us to the Father's house at the rapture. Paul says that we would be rejoicing in you, you'd be rejoicing in us. 
I mean, what's that, how cool is that to think about? Paul's like, listen, here's all this drama going on in Corinth, and it's not going to matter at all when we're with the Lord. When we're with him, we're going to be rejoicing in one another. We can rejoice now, can't we? Paul's going to talk about that in just a moment, about rejoicing and the joy that we are to have as believers. We're not to be like Eeyore Christians. You guys know who Eeyore is? Woe is me. I'm a Christian. Give your life to the Lord. You can be just like me. Who wants that? I mean, I understand some of us are going through difficulties and hardships. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. We are to rejoice in the Lord. To be excited about Him. To shine brightly for Him. Well, Jesus is going to come. He's going to take us. And anybody grateful for that? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That day, rejoicing in one another. Those arguments that we've had. That argument you had with your spouse this week. Is it going to really matter in heaven? On the way to church this morning. Is it really going to matter? It's not going to matter in heaven. We're going to be rejoicing when we are with the Lord. And this, and in this confidence, Paul says, look at verse 15. I intended to come to you before. Why? That you might have a second benefit or a second blessing to pass by way of you to Macedonia. That's northern Greece. To come again from Macedonia to you, traveling southbound, and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. And so Paul, again, we see that he's defending himself here about the plans that he made. There was a change in his plans of coming to Corinth. And we know that between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul made at least one visit and wrote one letter besides the letters that we have here. And so he says here, listen, um, and, and, and so with that, the people were saying, the, the false apostles were probably starting this smear campaign saying something like this. Listen, Paul, Paul's a flake. He didn't show up when he said he was coming. He's wishy-washy. He's in it for himself. He can't rely on the guy. He, he, can't, he can't follow through on a plan. He can't decide whether he's coming or going. So they're saying these things behind his back. And you can, you can, I think you can discern that from what he's saying here. Look what he says in verse 15. Being fully persuaded or in this confidence, I determined to come to see you earlier in order that you'd have a second blessing. And he says in verse 16, my plan was to do this, was to see you on the way to Macedonia and then on the way back from Macedonia to see you again. And then maybe you guys could help me travel to Judea as I go back there to Israel, to southern Israel. And he says in light of that, verse 17, when I put my itinerary together, do you think I was being flippant? Do you think I was, it was with a lack of seriousness I put together that itinerary? Do you think when I make my plans, I'm wishy-washy? I'm yes, yes, no, no. I'm all over the board. How did Paul make his plans, by the way? Prayer? Yeah, for sure. What else? Remember what he said back in 1 Corinthians 16. Let's flip, flip back there. It's like one page. 
1 Corinthians 16 to the left, or maybe it's on the same in your Bible. Because he, he shared his itinerary with them in his first letter. And, and he says in verse 5 of chapter 16, he says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you. And then what's he say? How does he qualify it? If the Lord, the Lord permits, the Lord willing. My hope is this. I want to do this. I'm laying out my plans, but I'm laying out my plans trusting that God wants me to do this, that it's his desire, his choice that happens in my life. And the reality is things don't always work out the way we expect. Are you with me this morning? Things don't always work out the way that we expect, do they? You know what that means? We need to stay loose, to be flexible. Are you with me? Blessed are the flexible, isn't that how it goes? To be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Again, Paul's defending himself here. They're saying Paul's all talk. He makes promises but doesn't come through. If he really cared, he would be here. And Paul's like, wait, time out. Time out. You think those plan you think I made my plans in a flippant way or I was wishy-washy? Not at all. And we're going to see at the end of this chapter, Paul didn't want to come back again and have to bring a bunch of correction into their lives. Paul didn't want to do that. He's waiting for God to work in their hearts. There's such an important lesson here. We're going to talk about it a little bit more later. Paul didn't think it was healthy to come at that time. It wasn't the Lord's timing for him to go back. And it's like Paul saying, my intention is to do this, but I'm not going to fulfill it in the flesh. You ever said something, made plans, and then it's like, you know it's the Lord's will, but someone else doesn't. They're like, dude, you're a flake, bro. And then we strive in the flesh to try to make it happen. It's like, no, don't do that. The Lord shows you time out, back off, hit park for a minute, throw it in neutral, just hang on, and then let the Lord guide you, be led by his spirit. And Paul's saying, I'm listening to what God tells me to do. This is what's right to do at this moment. Are you still with me on this? Okay, look at verse 18. Because Paul's going to do something here. He gives spiritual reasons why. Back over to 2 Corinthians, sorry. He gives spiritual reasons here why they were wrong. And he says in verse 18, I just read it a minute ago, but as God is faithful, aren't you glad God's faithful? Amen. As God is faithful, our word to you, our message to you, was not yes and no. It wasn't with duplicity. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, who's the us, by me, Silvanus or Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen to the glory of God through us. And so Paul says here, just as God is reliable, just as God is faithful, what we communicated to you was not with duplicity. 
The God I serve is not like that. That's what our example is God. He's reliable. The foundation of my integrity is the promises of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 19, remember when we came to you? We preached Jesus Christ, God's son. It was me, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And we told you straight up. When we came, we didn't say, well, Jesus may be the son of God or maybe he's not. We didn't say that. We said he is the son of God who came and gave his life for us, a ransom for many. We shared the gospel with you. And you know the results. You know the fruit. You got born again, radically transformed. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians. What you once were, but you were washed and sanctified and made a new creation by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. When we came, you know our record. We preached the gospel. We preached the word of God. And our word and our lives are exactly the same way for all. And then Paul goes off on this little, I love this. So he goes off for a little, little bunny trail. You guys with me? Little bun, you guys ready for a bunny trail? <laughs> Pastor Mike, I don't like your bunny trails. This is Paul's bunny trail. Because he talks about God, how awesome God is. Now he who establishes, oh, wait a minute, time out. Verse 20, I almost skipped over to verse 20. God's promises. Are you guys grateful for God's promises? For all the promises of God. How many is that? That's every one of them. In Him, in Christ. If you're in Christ this morning, all of His promises are yes to you. If you you belong to Jesus this morning, all of His promises are yes to you. And all of His promises are amen. So be it. To the glory of God through us. That God would look good. That's when, 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 we, when we read glorifying God, it means to make God look good. Do you know that God looks good when he fulfills his promises in your life? Are you with me? People look on and say, wow. Look what God has done in your life. Man, what, what are you tapped into? What's the difference about your life? Why are you just nice? Is it? You just don't see a whole lot of niceness around you these days. Well, it's Jesus who's made me a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're going to read that later in 2 Corinthians. All of his promises to you because you are his child are yes and amen. God's promises are not well. They may happen or they may not. They are all yes and amen. And so thank you, Jesus, for that, huh? When he, when he gives you a promise, you know what that means? He's going to fulfill it this morning. Do you guys like God's promises, by the way? I know some of you guys are holding on to promises in your life, and it's been a long time. But you know what the Bible says. You know what God says in his word. It's by faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. We don't like the patience part, do we? But it's by faith and patience. We hang in there. We don't rush out ahead of the Lord. We wait upon Him. You guys remember Abraham and Sarah? You guys remember Abraham and Sarah? Yes. Did God give them a promise? Yes. You will have a child in your old age. You're going to have a son. And guess what happened? That's a promise, isn't it, from God? And then what happened? Year, new calendar, right? 
New Year, new calendar. Maybe the promise meant we need to make it happen on our own. Hey, Abraham, why don't you take Hagar, my handmaid, and you can have the promised son through her. Remember, what did Abraham do? Okay. (laughs) Sounds great to me. What are they trying to do? They're trying to help God fulfill God's promise. But we can do that. Try to make things happen in our own strength, our own flesh, rather than waiting upon the Lord, right? God wanted them to wait and wait and wait and wait until it got to that point where there was no other way but the Lord. It was impossible. The only explanation would be the God of the impossible. So God said to Abraham, that's not the one. And so they waited and waited and waited. And then they had, well, who was the first, what was the first son's name? Ishmael. And then they had the next son, which was with Abraham and Sarah. What was his name? Isaac. And what does Isaac mean? Laughter. That's right. And isn't that the way it is with the work of the Spirit? When it's a work of the flesh, it's like, man, I did it on my own. I'm worn out. But a work of the Spirit brings rejoicing and laughter, doesn't it? That was you, Lord. That was awesome. No way we could have done this on our own. You did it. So listen, if you're holding on to the promises today, hang in there. Don't take matters into your own hands. Just think about Abraham and Sarah and Ishmael, the problems Ishmaelites are causing today. But remember Isaac, that work of the Spirit. So the promises belong to you. Look what he says. What else does he say? Um, He goes on to say, Now he who establishes us with you, he reminds us of who God is and what he's done. Now he who establishes us with you, in Christ and has anointed us is who is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit where in our hearts as a guarantee. This is so Paul, this is his bunny trail right here. He begins to talk about the God who's faithful to his promises, and he talks about what? Number one, as Christians, God has put us together on stable ground. He and, and the, the verb tense is continually establishes us. That word establishes means to strengthen, to secure, and to make firm. Isn't that what God does in our lives? He continually and constantly is establishing us, bringing stability into our lives. That's what his word does. Jesus said it, the wise and the foolish builder. The wise builder hears Jesus' words and does it and builds his house on the rock. His house, his life, his marriage, his home, his ministry gets established on that, on that solid, reliable um, foundation, if you will. But notice what else God has done. He's anointed us. What does that mean to be anointed? Sometimes you hear people say that. He's got the anointing. Or he's an anointed something or other. You guys ever hear that? people say that sometimes? What does that mean, anointing? What does that mean to be anointed? It's past tense, isn't it? He's anointed us. It means he's authorized us, empowered us for service to serve Jesus. Are you with me? Sometimes, you know, sometimes a lot of uh, madness is attributed to the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. On one end of the spectrum, a lot of madness is attributed to the Holy Spirit. On the other end, people say that the Holy Spirit doesn't anoint, doesn't do stuff. He's just kind of ignored. Are you with me on that? 
So what does the anointing look like? What does that look like in somebody's life? Do we have any examples in Scripture? Remember in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, I'm going to flip over there real quick, because I think it's important to understand this. Because who's been anointed? All of us have, haven't we? Yes? Yes? All of us, you get sure? I don't all of us have been. God anoints us, Paul tells the church right here. But what does it look like? What did it look like with Jesus? Because isn't he our example in all things? Is he our example in all things? Yes. Luke 4. Remember when Jesus cruises to Nazareth? He goes into the synagogue. He gets the handoff. They give him the scroll. Was it an accident? Was it a coincidence, the scripture he got to read that day? Was it an accident? No way, man. So he opens it up, 18, Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. There's our word. And guess what? The Holy Spirit comes upon us when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, correct? It's an experience we can have with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. So what's the anointing look like? Number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. <gasps> Number one, since we are anointed, guess what we will be doing? Preaching the, what's gospel mean? Good news to the poor. And that can mean financially poor, but that can also mean those that are spiritually bankrupt also. Because that's the way you come into the kingdom, don't you? You realize, I have nothing. I am in total need of your forgiveness, of a work of your spirit. I am dead apart from you. I'm blind. And so number one, to preach, if we're anointed, if we're walking in that, we are to, we're going to be preaching the gospel to the poor. Number two, what's it say? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Do you guys know anybody brokenhearted this morning? Have you ever been brokenhearted? Those of us who are anointed, part of our ministry will be bringing healing to the brokenhearted. Again, wait a minute. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. You've got the Holy Spirit. He's anointed you. You've been comforted with the comfort that comes from God. You are now able to bring healing and help to the brokenhearted. Number three, to proclaim liberty to the captives, that there is freedom. There's freedom from the bondage of sin, from whatever you're, whatever you're addicted to or caught up in or whatever's got you jacked up. There's freedom in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He wants to bring freedom. Jesus is so into freedom, gang. And so part of our anointed ministry is to be pro proclaiming liberty to the captives. There are a lot of people that are enslaved around us. Enslaved to lots of different stuff. And so we're able to come in and to share with them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and recovery of sight to the blind. Isn't that interesting? Does that mean I'm going to go open up the eyes of the blind? Not necessarily. But it, notice it's recovery. It's something that needs to be recovered. It's someone who once saw clearly, but they're not seeing clearly anymore. Do you know anybody like that? Another term for that is backslidden. 
They're no longer, they're no longer connecting the dots spiritually anymore. They've lost sight. They've taken their eyes off of Jesus. And what do we have the ministry, the blessing, the privilege of doing for our Lord is doing what? Bringing recovery of sight to them. And then it says to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That word oppressed, it says in the margin of my Bible, downtrodden. People are just kicked to the curb, that are ditched, that are hurting. That you and I get a chance to minister to them. And then last, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable. We get to share with people, listen, God will accept you just the way you are. You come to Jesus. You don't need to fix yourself. He'll fix you. He'll clean you up. He'll change you. It's not my job to change you. He's going to fix you and change you. But he will accept you. You come just the way you are. And you trust in Jesus Christ. And guess what? Now you have right standing before God. He accepts you into the family of God. But you must be trusting in Jesus Christ. Well, back to 2 Corinthians. Let's finish up this chapter. We have time? We sure do. Hour and a half left. Because we've all something else has happened, God has done. We have been sealed. He's sealed us and given us the Holy Spirit, or given us the Spirit in our hearts for what? As a guarantee. In ancient times, when, when kings would send a letter, they would ro- they'd have the scroll rolled up, they'd take some wax, melt it onto the uh, onto the letter to seal it up from anybody opening it up. And then the king would take his ring, the signet ring, and he'd put it on there. And you know what that meant? Don't open it up or it's curtains for you, buckaroo. That's the idea. It speaks of protection, identification also. So God has given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts, the deepest part of our beings, for identification, ownership, protection, and also, it says, as a guarantee, God's layaway plan this morning for us. It speaks of an earnest, a down payment, a deposit, guaranteeing, number one, that we are God's children, Romans 8, and number two, that we will live with him forever in heaven. That's good news this morning, by the way. That's kind of like amenable stuff, if you like that kind of to do. You guys, some of you guys, I know you have earnest money. It secures your house, Right? It shows you're serious. You give that down payment, right? Guaranteeing you're legit. God has done the same with us. He's serious about you and me. He's serious about our souls. He purchased us with his blood and he's sealed us with his spirit, confirming safe delivery to be home with him. Look at how he finishes two verses. Verse 23 and 24. There's we'll end it right here. Moreover, or now indeed, I call God as witness against my soul. It's pretty heavy. Paul appeals to the Lord to testify against him if if what he is saying is not true. I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but we are fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. Did you guys catch that? Paul's like, 
I didn't come to Corinth because I wanted to spare you. It wasn't a selfish reason I didn't come. But out of concern for you, I didn't come. Paul's waiting for their hearts to be right, guys. There's such an important lesson in these two verses that we're looking at. Number one, Paul's like, I know my conscience is right before God with this entire situation. I know I'm right with him. God is my witness. And I'm waiting. I I didn't come because I'm sparing you. I didn't want to come and be heavy-handed on you or bring correction to you to spare you that till your hearts get right. So Paul realized it wasn't best for him to come. So what does he do? You guys know what he does? He sends someone there. He sent Titus there. Why is that so important? Because there's sometimes ministry is better left to someone else. Did you catch that? It was hard to hear over some of that. (laughs) Round two, go for it. Sometimes ministry is left best to someone else to handle. Because we like to hold on. It's got to be me, 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 me. It's my ministry. No, 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 no. Paul's like, I'm okay. I'll send Titus. It would be best for others to go and to minister into this situation. Such an important lesson in ministry and in life. And Paul's like, we don't lord it over you. We don't have dominion over your faith. That's what he's talking about, lording it over someone. You know what I'm talking about? We have some people in our church that have come out of church backgrounds where um, the leadership lorded it over the people. With a heavy hand, you have to listen to us. We're the shepherds, we're the, we're, we're the pastors, we're the leadership, and you got to do what we say, and they bring people into bondage. And you know what Jesus said? I hate that. That's the deeds of the Nicolaitans, by the way, that we read about in Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3. The things that Jesus hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. It's when you lord it over God's people. And you boss them around. Jesus said that's what they do in the world. That's how the world operates. You get to the top of the corporate ladder and you boss people around and make them do your will. Not in my kingdom. You want to be great in my kingdom. Become what? Become a servant. That's where greatness is found. And Paul's like, I'm not here domineering or operating heavy-handed. I'm not on some power trip. I simply want to see you experience joy in your walk with Jesus. Listen, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not here to gain power and influence. We are here to serve. And Jesus set the example for us. Fellow workers... For your joy. Paul says we work together that you would be full of joy. You know, maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, you know what, that's great for those in ministry, pastors, preachers, those kinds of people that do stuff. This this is for all of us. Moms, dads, grandparents. We, like Paul in our homes can be those that are fellow workers for our kids' joy, for our grandkids' joy. I learned a hard lesson with my kids because I tried to heavy-handedly 
fix them and change them and discipline them. And you know what? I, I went through a rough season, and the Lord showed me it's the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, your anger and my anger doesn't produce what God wants to produce in their lives. Fellow workers, it takes work. But listen, joy is found in Jesus Christ. And we can point our kids to Jesus. You want joy in your life. It's not found in accumulating a bunch of stuff. It's not found in getting to the top of the corporate ladder. It's found in Jesus Christ. In worshiping and serving him. No man can serve two masters. It's found in him. Are you with me? Joy. We sing that song in children's ministry, don't we? J is for Jesus, O is for others, and Y is for you. It's in that order, right? You guys, know what I'm talking? you guys know that song? If you get it mixed up, it doesn't. Yoj, you first, doesn't work. Only works Jesus, O, others, Y, you last. Or if you go with others first, it doesn't. Oj, oj. It's joy. Jesus first, others, and then you. Another little acrostic for you guys. And he says, look at how he finishes. Let's finish. We've got 30 seconds. Can we do it? Yes. We don't rule over your souls. We're fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. It's your simple trust in Jesus. That you stand. In other words, he's saying to them, you are accountable before God. You can't blame it on us. You can't blame it on our change of plans. We didn't make it when you wanted us to come there. You can't blame it on the ministry team, the church, the organization. Listen, you are accountable personally before God. I'm personally accountable before God. You can't blame anyone else. I can't blame anyone else. We stand or fall before our own master. That's why it's so important this morning to stay close to Jesus, to trust him, to look to him, to his sufficiency, to his resources. You want to experience joy? It's found by abiding in Jesus Christ. Amen? Abide in me, Jesus said, and you will bear much fruit. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this passage this morning. Lord, so so good, so necessary, so needed. I pray, Lord, as your word washes over us, that... You would do those things within us that only you can do. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Thank you for a fresh work of your spirit. For helping us. Giving us such hope. Such great joy, Lord. May we rejoice in you this morning. 